We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's an interesting one, Ryan, from John A1. John says, which player on both offense and defense is the most unique, very rare talent that's difficult for other teams to mimic in preparation? Uh, John, I think Brian hit on one a little bit earlier, but uh, Chris Tyree is a pretty unique player now that he's playing mm-hmm. slot and you know a little bit of that gadget type of player, right? So he's incredibly unique. And I also think, I don't know if I would call him the most unique on defense, but I think Riley Mills is a very unique player. Like you don't have 296 pound guys that can split between strong side defensive end and three tech very often. Like that's, it's pretty rare. It's not, it's not like a usual type of thing. So I think those are a couple of guys that immediately pop as far as like uniqueness of their games. Defensively for me, it's Howard cross. You can list him at 275 All you want 280 All you want. He's not that the fact that he can play nose guard at a high level is unique. He's, barely six feet tall. He's 265, 270 pounds at the most. He's a pretty good football player in an era where people focus on size. He's a pretty unique guy. I think, I think Xavier Watts is another one because I think he's a, he's a guy that can play multiple spots. I think Cam Hart might be the most unique DB they have because I think he can literally play four of the five secondary positions and play them at a relatively high level. Uh, offensively, Chris Tyree is a good one. Obviously, I, I you know, I think another one too, Ryan, that's a unique player is Audric Estime because he can do the things that you expect a player with his size to do. But I think a very yeah. underrated aspect of, I was having this conversation actually with a, a, a friend in the coaching world where he was like, you know, I'm not really impressed by that guy. And I was like, I think, I think you would be if you watched him more. I think that the, the, the agility and I shouldn't say agility, the balance and the foot quickness that he has for such a big back is not, is is a bit unique. Reminds me a lot of Ron Dane in that Ron Dane was the weirdest college football player I've probably ever seen because he was not as talented as his, as you would, th- he didn't look like a guy that rushed for 2000 yards every year, basically. I mean, he, you just watch him run and you're just like, I don't get what's so good about this guy. But then when you really say, I'm like, well, this, this, this big old boy had some great feet and vision and feel where he's not a sexy running back where you're just like, wow, this guy's really good. You know, like 
you watch Leonard Fournette carry the ball five times, you're like, wow, what a freak. You know what I mean? Like, this guy's amazing. Yeah. With Ron Dane, it was just like, you'd watch. I mean, Ryan, you, I don't know. He might be a little too – you might be a little – I don't know if you watch much of him in the college. You might be a little too young for that because he was like – I high school. Dane. What, like four. But, like, you watch him play and you're just like, well, I don't get what the hype was about. And then you look at the stat sheet and you're like, oh, he had 195 yards. <laughs> it just was like – because he just – he was just kind of one, and you're like, how is that guy running away from people? Like he looks slow, right? Like, but he just he just could play. And I think those la- that those lack of skills made is why he just couldn't make it in the NFL. But he had yeah. really nice feet and vision for such a big guy and a unique running style for a big guy. And Audric reminds me a little bit um, of that, to be honest with you. So, so you know, you know, Ron Dane's a, a Jersey guy, and he actually holds mm-hmm. the state discus record. There was really? a, there's a kind of a legend of Ron Dane throwing discus in New Jersey, where he was at one facility, he threw the discus over a fence, like two hundred something feet, and they had to literally take down the fence to measure this discus throw. So they had stopped this entire, like I think it was like one of the bigger meets, like one of the you know like the classics or whatever, and they're like, nope, we got to stop this thing. We got to take measure of this because this is a state, this is a state record holder type of thing. So, yeah, man, he was a it's a New Jersey legend, man. So of course I know Ron yeah. Dane. Well, I know you know who he is, Giants, but I just but, I didn't know yeah. that you watched him play. You know, in college, yeah. that's like that's that's my point. Like I know that Tim Brown was a great Notre Dame player, but I couldn't tell you that I watched much of him at Notre Dame. I knew more as right. a as an NFL player. So a good, good question, John. Good question. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's get down to one here. Um, uh, let's get down to here, – here, here's an interesting one. Jordan Schreiber says, who do you think was better college running back, Bo Jackson or Herschel Walker? I mean, it's, it's Herschel Walker, and it's not really close. 
And and I know Bo was a great player, and Bo won a Heisman, and and Bo was uh, I mean Bo was tremendous, but Bo was was not partly because Bo played multiple sports. I mean, I think Bo ran track at Auburn as well. He played baseball at Auburn. But when you look at Bo's numbers, he had 829 yards as a rook, as a freshman, 1,213 yards as a sophomore. He had 475 yards as a junior and then 1,786 yards and 17 touchdowns as a senior, had 272 receiving yards. And then you look at Herschel Walker, and he had 1,600 yards and 15 touchdowns as a, as a freshman. He had 1,891 yards and 18 touchdowns as a sophomore and then 1,752 yards and 16 touchdowns as a junior, and he was part of a national championship team. I mean, so his, he elevated, and, and he, was a, he was the offense. So – Bo was the more entertaining player, maybe, but Herschel yeah. was the better college running back. There's no question about it. I mean, and, and Bo never rushed for a thousand. It, this is the crazy about the mythology that surrounds Bo Jackson. Because of him playing two sports and because of the hip injury, we never got to see the best of Bo Jackson in the NFL. No. And and a lot of people, we talked about this recently, Ryan, but I didn't know this until I looked it up one time because I wanted to see what Bo's stats were. Because I, I mean, I grew up playing Tecmo Bowl, and like if you'd ran that toss sweep to Bo Jackson, it was a touchdown. Bo Jackson never I rushed think for the season was yards. like nine hundred something yards, right? But it was never like rushed for a thousand yards. Like yeah, yeah, never rushed for a thousand yeah. yards. Now, to your point, Ryan, that nine hundred fifty yards came in eleven games. Right, right. right I mean, right. so yeah. so, and the dude averaged five point five yards per carry. So in his in his three years, he averaged five point four yards per carry in the NFL. That's a really good average in the NFL. <laughs> and he had a six point eight, five point five, and five point six. But you know, if you if you take the year that he averaged that he ran for nine fifty in eleven games, and you average that over a sixteen game season, that's th- over thirteen hundred yards. I mean, he was he was very good. But a lot of that is is mythology of the highlights were incredible, Insane, but there's yeah. it's not even close. When you talk about who the better back was, it was Herschel Walker. I mean, he was yeah. unbelievable. Now, it doesn't again doesn't take away from Bo's greatness. I mean, two thousand yard seasons, but Herschel was a dominant player. The ste- the minute he stepped foot on campus, and never stopped being such. I, I do wish yeah. that we could know exactly how good Bo could have been in just one sport, man. Because yeah. if you, I mean, either one to your point, either one. I mean, <laughs> The, the craziest play that he's ever made that was from that 30 for 30 is when he was playing outfield and he threw Harold Reynolds out from the wall with who, no who could hop. run. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Dude, Harold, it's what? not like he threw out Cecil Fielder, right? Right. I mean, it's not, you know what I mean? He threw out Harold Reynolds who can, who could scoop. He could scoop. Dude, that, no that, that throw was insane. And it didn't even, he didn't even, he didn't even one hop on the ground, like literally from the wall to home plate. Insane man, absolutely insane. Yeah, great athlete, but not necessarily um, an all-time great. Like you know, obviously he won a Heisman, so he had a great season. But you know, Herschel had Heisman caliber seasons every year that he played. You know that that the fact that what years did Herschel play? Nineteen eighty. I'm actually going to look up and see who the Heisman Trophy winners were those years because I'm I'm curious where Herschel finished in those seasons. So in 1980, George Rogers won it. Okay. He had a pretty good year. Uh, Hugh Green was second. 1981, Marcus Allen won it, rushed for 2,400. Okay. Yeah. Now that's insane. So here, talk about uh, some all-time names in the top 10 of the Heisman Trophy voting. In 1981, Ryan, get this. Marcus Allen finished first in a landslide because he rushed for 2,427 yards and two touchdowns. 
Herschel finished second. Jim McMahon finished third. Dan Marino finished fourth. Uh, Darren Nelson, you remember him from Stanford, finished sixth. Anthony Carter finished seventh from Michigan. Great wide receiver in college and the NFL. You had uh, – uh, and, and then here's an interesting name, Art Schlichter from Ohio State, who's who's more known for his gambling issues than he is oh, yeah. his football. Yeah. But the year that Dan Marino – this is, shows how different the game is. The year that Dan Marino – I'm going to make two points. It shows, number one, how the game has changed, but also how Lavelle Edwards was ahead of his time in a lot of ways. In, 19, in, in 1981, Dan Marino finished fourth in Heisman Trophy voting, had a great year uh, – 37 touchdowns, 280, 2,800 yards, 23 picks. Yeah. And he finished fourth in the Heisman Trophy voting. So it just kind of tells you a little bit something how, how the game has changed. He also threw 23 picks as a senior. Uh, but um, uh, Jim McMahon that year had 3,500 3, yards, 30 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. So that was because he was running, you know, that Lavelle Edwards offense. Yeah. So uh, Jim McMahon is, is a quarterback. He's probably the biggest what if quarterback for me. What if he a wasn't a little off, but more so, hmm. what if he didn't have all the injuries he had with the Bears? What would he? How would he be viewed as an all time quarterback? Because Jim McMahon was a very talented quarterback and a very productive quarterback in college and the pros, but he just had all the injuries. Was really just a, and the health problems and really just kept him from ever reaches full potential and still won a Super Bowl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. So he's a big what if guy for me. And then of course, uh, Ryan Herschel, his last year won the Heisman trophy voting. So I'm curious who the, yeah, you know who the runner up was for him? Here's another example. Good Lord. 1982. Herschel, Herschel won the Heisman. The number two guy, John Andre Elway. Nope. No, Andre Ware was later. It was 89. Okay. Uh, but uh, John Elway was number two. Eric Dickerson was number three. Anthony Carter was number four. Dave Remington, who has a trophy named after him, was number five. Dan Marino finished ninth. And then Kurt Warner and Mike Rogier tied for 10th. Now, some of you may say, Kurt Warner, not that Kurt Warner. Yeah, the Kurt it's Warner. the one that Penn played State, running back Kurt at Warner. Penn State, played for the Seahawks. Yeah. And yeah, that Kurt Spell Warner. Spell with a C, not a K. Yeah. Yes, there you go. There you go. So, that man, there's some legends back in the Heisman Trophy boating back in the day, boy. Goodness gracious. Man, that was interesting. Um, 1983, Mike Rogier won it. Steve Young was second. So, yeah, Steve Young passed for 3,900 yards that season. Interesting. Oh, your boy Boomer Esiason was 10th in Heisman voting in 1983, right? So there you go. Maryland's. Maryland great. There you go. So good question there. Good question there. Let's get down to some more here. Okay. This is a good one. Detroit Hunter, top five non-Notre Dame games you are looking forward to seeing this season. Oh, man, I need to do a lot more research there's, for this there's a, So I'll, I'll try to think. I mean, obviously there's the 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 Notre Dame Mich- – I mean, the Michigan-Ohio State game is always a game I look forward to. But I also think this year there's a lot of intrigue. So that's one that I'm very much looking forward to, Ryan. Uh, Michigan-Ohio State, I'm very much looking forward to the LSU-Florida State game. That is definitely one I'm looking forward to, to seeing. I think that's going to be a very interesting game. Trying to have a mix of in-conference and out-of-conference games, uh, you know, as you kind of look at this. So LSU, Florida State, Florida, Utah, they play again this year, don't they? That'll be an interesting one. Let me let me pull up the yeah. the NCAA schedule here this year. 
but uh, Alabama, Texas is one. I, I think that's one of the more intriguing out of conference games. You know, what is, is that? Because here's the question, right? Is Alabama truly descending? And is Texas truly ascending? That game's going to go a long way towards telling us that. Long way towards telling us that, in my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are thoughts are on that one. That one there, Ryan. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I have such a, a, a strange opinion on Texas this year, Brian. I don't know what to expect mm-hmm. from that man. I really don't. I yeah. mean, I because I, I think that they should. I, I I don't know. On paper, I think that they should be the the leader to win the Big Twelve, just because they have the most returning production, right? And there's teams mm-hmm. that I think are going to kind of take a step back, like TCU, but. I don't know, man. I just have a hard time completely putting my faith in them a little bit. Yeah. Big 12 conference is going to be kind of weird this year. You, you know, have, I just realized too, TCU's Brian, going to take we'll a step back. And... Go ahead. Sorry? No, keep going. Oh, no, I was just going to say TCU's take it, going to take a step back, in my opinion. Agreed. Is Baylor going to take a nice step forward after a little bit of a down year? Is Kansas State going to be able to be a team again? I mean, there's just a bunch of is Oklahoma going to improve in, in year two under, under – um uh brent venables i just realized too ryan so so finishing the, the games obviously uh that we were talking about texas bama I'm, I'm very much looking forward here's here's a conference game i cannot wait for the clemson florida state game that game has not mattered for a long time and it's sort of that clemson's the big dog in that conference florida state's trying to get back on top that game's going to tell us a lot and you know can can florida state win it can they, you know, keep? Can they? Can they finally knock Clemson off that perch, or is Clemson still going to say, "Hey, you know, young fella, you know, you're not there quite yet." You know what I mean? So that's another one that I'm looking forward to. Ryan, I'm trying to think of a. Uh, there's no. There's really no Pac-12 games that I'm. I'm like, oh wow, I can't wait to see that one. Uh, if I was, it'd probably be Washington, Oregon. Um, you know, I think that's going to be an entertaining game, but probably not one that I'm necessarily looking forward to. You know, none none of those uh, Michigan juggernaut non-conference games really entice me this year, Ryan. Sorry, I, I don't have any of those. Playing UConn again? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, re- really, really tough schedule there. Those are the main ones. I have to go through to look the schedule. You know, I just realized, Ryan, we never finished the overrated underrated. We stopped that oh, yeah. for some reason. We got distracted in the Big Ten. So Big Twelve, uh, I think we for me Texas is underrated. I mean, overrated. I think Texas is getting way too much preseason love for a team that went eight and five. I get why, but they have yeah. a lot to prove to me before I'm ready to start having them as a consensus top 10 team. Uh, I, I, and I, I don't know that I was underrated. Whew, that's an interesting I think Oklahoma's one. a bit over. I think Oklahoma's a bit overrated. I've seen them decently yeah. high in a couple of polls. I'm just like guys that went six and seven last year. Like and they weren't an impressive six bit. and seven, Ryan. Right. Yeah. I mean, they weren't yeah. a six and seven team. You're like, boy, that team, that team's going to break out. You know, uh, yeah. you know who I'd say is underrated in the big 12. Uh, I I'm, I'm going to go here, Ryan, as I'm kind of thinking through all the different teams in the big 12, Texas tech. I really yeah. like what Joey McGuire's doing there. I, I could see them if they, if they can stay healthy, they got to keep their quarterbacks healthy this year. I think they could surprise some people. So I'm, I'm going to go with Texas tech there. SEC. I feel like Kansas State. I feel like Kansas State is underrated yeah. every year because I mean I yeah. feel like people don't even talk about the fact that they won the Big Twelve last year. But <laughs> I know, right? Like, okay, seriously, yeah, sure, yeah, seriously. Sure. Um, 
maybe it's because I respect them so much that I don't view it that way. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't see them getting a lot of love, and they have a lot. I don't of guys see anybody talking about Kansas State. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe because I don't know, maybe because their running back is gone. Yeah, I don't know, but they've they they're Chris Kleiman's doing a nice job there. Uh, let's go to the SEC, Ryan. Who is your overrated SEC team heading into the 2023 season? I think LSU is a little bit overrated. I mean, I, I see people just saying that they're a foregone conclusion to unseat Alabama for the second straight year in that side of the bracket. Yeah. And I'm just like, guys, like, let's slow down a little bit, you know, just a little bit. I know yeah. LSU has talent coming back. I know they're a good team, but like, there was also some mixed results last year. Let's not act like it was mm-hmm. all great. I mean, we still right. saw the Arkansas outing. We still saw the Florida State game. We still saw the Tennessee, Tennessee. game. Like, it wasn't all great. Georgia. It wasn't all great. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you're right though, Ryan. They ignore the just bad games that they played. Because they and beat just focus on they beat Bama. Okay. They beat Bama. Yeah. They beat Bama. I'm like, okay, yeah. so what? They beat Bama. Um, I'm trying to see what Phil how Phil Steele has some of these teams ranked. I think Ole Miss to me is getting a little is getting a little bit overrated. I, I I was not in love with that Ole Miss team last year, and I don't know that I'm in love with the Ole Miss team coming into this year. We'll see. I have to figure out a quarterback, but I'm trying to he has he in his power play is Auburn twenty fifth. That's a lot of love for uh-huh. Full Steel. Twenty fifth, and he has well, Florida twenty eighth. Yeah, twenty fifth, and then Florida twenty eighth. I think Florida's going to have a lot more problems than that. They couldn't win a bunch of games with Anthony Richardson. You're telling me they're going to go win a bunch of games with Graham Mertz? So, I think Auburn's going yeah, to really bad this year. Yeah, I mean, very bad team. Yeah. I know they've I know they've landed some guys in the portal and all that, but no, they had a lot of problems, Ryan. Their their quarterback position is so bad that they had to go get Peyton Thorne. So yes, yes, that's a good that's a (laughs) that's a really good point. They're like, wow, (laughs) CJ Finley and Robbie Ashford are so not good. We have to go get Peyton Thorne. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's not good. That's that's I'm gonna agree with you there, Ryan. That's not good. I'm looking at some of these preseason polls for this season and seeing kind of where they have some teams ranked um see kentucky 27th that'll be an inter- I don't. i don't know what to make of kentucky but i i actually think that they might be a little bit better this year i i thought and you know you put knew partly why yeah i i'm not in love with that here's so um who's this usa today the athlon has has texas a&m 20th that's way over i mean it, anyone that's got texas a&m in their top 25 of anything right now is just just ridiculous to have that. He's just not a top 10 team like every year, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So hard pass on that one. Uh, who is an underrated team in the SEC for you, Ryan? SEC. I, I Mississippi State is a quiet team that won nine and four last year. And I feel like no one talks about that. Like they're a pretty mm-hmm. good team, you know, like not bad. I, I feel like no one talks about them. Kentucky, I actually think, is actually going to be much better than last year. Yeah. Actually, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they win like nine ish games this year after going seven and six. Like, I think they're, I, I, because I think Devin Leary is a better college quarterback than what Will Levis is. And I think that it's going to be a little bit more consistent as far as the approach with Liam Cohen coming mm-hmm. back. So I wouldn't be shocked if Kentucky's a better football team this year. Yep. Uh, underrated. It's hard to ever find an underrated team in the SEC because right. to your right. point, like, it's just they always get overhyped. So uh, Kentucky's probably the best bet for me. I just don't think it, – it's hard to find an underrated SEC team. Just yeah. – it's a difficult one. And then let's uh, – Big 12 we already did. Let's finish up, Ryan, in the Pac-12. Who is I, – I feel like 
I want to say like Washington, but then they're getting top 10 love, I, I, you know, Oregon's top underrated 15, USC 10. But underrated to me is like, how, how are we not talking about the back-to-back Pac-12 champs when people talk about, yeah. like, we'll have these kind of, oh, I, who's it going to be this year? Is it going to be USC, Oregon, or Washington? And I'm like, uh, finish that sentence. Or Utah, the team that's won it the last two years. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. Uh, I think they're, I mean, that's an easy one for me. They're very underrated. Yeah. I, I was going to say Oregon State, but most people have Oregon State in the top twenty-five preseason, top twenty-five. So I'm I'm good with that. I, a, t- a team I keep talking about is Washington State. I think Washington State's mm-hmm. going to be a pretty good team this year, man. Like they yeah. went seven and six last year, but I think when you really like dissect what they did in 2022, it was a lot yeah. more impressive than what the record would just indicate. I mean, they took. I'm pointing it up real quick, but I remember they took Oregon to the wire. It was like 44, a three or four point game. Yeah. yeah, four point loss to Utah, and Ryan they lost by sixteen to USC. But if you actually watch that game, USC pulled yeah. away late. Washington State yes. battled with them. That was one of the best defensive performances anybody had against against USC last year. And I think to yeah. your to your, I know where part of what you're saying is coming from. Part of what you're saying, and they also beat Wisconsin on the road last year. Yes, your your premise, and I think you've said this before, and I agree with it is. The fact that they got a transfer, a grad, tra- a transfer kid from the FCS level, now that he's that that had multiple years of eligibility is important because I think it's hard. Yeah. I don't care how tra- tra- talented you are, Ryan. There's a, the the list of guys that have gone from FCS to Power Five or even Group of Five to Power Five. They don't make the the jump that people think they're going to make because it's an it's an adjustment. Well, Cameron Ward went through that adjustment last year. And now he's going to have more experience doing that. And I think to your to you've brought this up before, so I'm not surprised you went with Washington State. And I agree with you. I think having Cameron Ward yeah. in year two, you had a lot of controversy that was still looming over the program with the way that Nick Rolovich was fired and the lawsuits yeah. and all this other kind of stuff. That's now kind of in the rear view. They can they know who their coach is now. They can be locked in, and they've done some nice things recruiting wise, portal wise. So I'm, I'm I like that one. I think that's a really good underrated team. If I have to go other than Utah, but I still question why the team that won back-to-back Pac-12 titles is not – that has a decent amount of coming back is like being yeah. ignored when it comes to title contenders for the Pac-12 by a lot of people. I think it's I think it's just because there's other teams that you would look at and say that team's more talented, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're a better football team. That was that also true last practice. year, and it was also yes. true the year before. USC had more Absolutely. talent than Utah last year, and, and, and Utah beat them twice. Uh, Utah had more talent or Oregon had more talent than Utah in 2021 and Utah beat them twice. Let me rephrase that. They destroyed them twice. They didn't just beat them twice. They destroyed them twice. At least USC was competitive in the regular season game against Utah. But yeah, they're they're consistently. And then they just have some of those games. You're like, how did you lose that game? How did you beat all those teams and lose that game? You know, but that Florida Utah game early is going to be very interesting. So we went uh, we went overrated. Did we do overrated in the Pac-12, Ryan? We did underrated. We did, we didn't Who's do overrated. the overrated team in the Pac-12? I think Oregon's a little bit overrated just because I think that I I think that we're not talking enough about the magic that Kenny Dillingham did last year and the fact that he is no longer the offensive coordinator at Oregon for one. And also, Oregon is one of those teams that is built. I know they were ended up recruiting well based upon some factors, right? But they are also a big transfer portal team right and last year their transfer portal pulls hits a lot of them hits right yep. the bow nicks thing hit out my question is now year two of getting all these guys in the jordan birches the johnny cornelius is like these guys 
is it sustainable? I'm not That's sure right. it is, right? So I think that Oregon might take a slight step back. I mean, I think no. that they'll go eight, nine wins instead of, you know, the potential yeah. Pac-12 champs that we're kind of talking about. So just a slightly overrated team, slightly overrated. Yeah, I agree. I think mean, that's a good one. I, UCLA is an interesting one. I, 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 they, they're. I could argue that they're a tad underrated a little bit, in my opinion, as well. But I think, look, I, part of me wants to say USC because people are talking about them as a playoff team, but that just kind of comes down to like Penn State, Ryan. Like they have to prove it. Yeah. But they were pretty good last year. I mean, they won 11 games last year, so it's hard for me to say too much about them being overrated. It'd be it'd be one thing if a bunch of people were just immediately chalking them up as a playoff team. Then I might jump sure. on that they're a little overrated. they got to prove it first. But I, I think being in the, the bottom of the top 10 is incredibly fair for USC because if they can answer some questions, then they're then boom, now they are a playoff team. So I, I can live with that. I just yep. – Utah, I just don't think, is getting enough respect in my view. Yeah, and USC has the Heisman respect. Trophy winner coming back. So, like, right. yeah, cool. He's a cool. pretty good player. Yep. Yes. Pretty yep. decent. All right. Here's a non-football topic here. Detroit Hunters' favorite burger place, fast food, or local spots? Well, I don't – I mean, my favorite local spot to eat hamburgers is my house. So sure, I think yeah. I make very good hamburgers. So if I if I would have to, had to pick one, though, I mean, I, I like Five Guys. Five Guys has makes good oh, burgers. That's good. Yeah, oh, um, the, my favorite uh, bottomless fries that they yeah. throw in the bag. It's yeah, pretty good. and I like I like peanuts and shells, right? Like I, I just enjoy the you know it reminds me of my childhood going to baseball games. I don't know if if yeah. that's what you guys did, but every time we go to Reds games, get a big bag of peanuts and eat. You know, so I, I enjoy that process. Plus, I get fidgety, so it gives me something to do with my hands. But uh, it's also a good burger. I, it, the only thing yeah. you know it could make what well, doesn't matter to me now because I'm not drinking pop anymore, but. I hated their I hate their fountain. I hate that mixed thing that they do. It just always tasted weird. I didn't like that. But the the burger was good. My favorite overall burger place is In and Out. I am one of those people that is on the In and Out bandwagon. I absolutely love In and Out. Never so, been to In and Out before. Yeah. Never been to an In and Out. Yep. Go to one in California if you're ever out there. But uh I don't know how the ones in Texas are. But I, I like In and Out. It's very, very good. But uh, locally, if I'm gonna have a burger in town, Ryan, I'm making it at my house. I'm making a smash burger yeah. on my grill the way that I want it. And it's phenomenal. So um, that's one of the benefits of being a good cook. <laughs> you don't have to go out to get really good food, which I know, you know, as well, because you do a lot of cooking as well. Yes, I do. Right, Raymond Horton. Next question. Here we go. Raymond Horton says, do you think we will see the one five five this year? I sure hope hmm. not. <laughs> maybe like third and 35, maybe, but no, I don't, I don't think we're going to see that. One five five. Uh, John A one asks, which Notre Dame quarterback had the unique skill, most unique skill set? Malik Zaire, Ever Golson, Tyler Buckner. Of those three, to me, the most unique skill set would probably be Everett, because I think Everett, like Tyler Buckner, is not necessarily unique. There's guys like him. Malik wasn't unique. Yeah. There's guys like him. Everett to me was unique because he was, he was a. Everybody talks about his athleticism, but this is a kid that in high school at Myrtle Beach threw for over 12,000 yards and 120 touchdowns in his career. I mean, he was a passer who also was athletic, and I think yeah. he went away from that. But he was such a shifty, athletic guy. He was because he ever wasn't fast, he was really quick. Yeah, but uh, and he had, I mean, he had such he like a, he was like Bryce Young ish as far as yeah. an athlete, like he's yes. bouncy, you know what I mean? Like he's springy. yes. Yes. Yeah. 
And the other thing about Everett that gets a little underrated because he's a small, like if you ever see Malik, Malik, I don't know what he looks like now because I don't see him in that same setting, but like Malik was a really strong, muscular built kid, right? Yeah. And so him having a cannon for an arm wasn't surprising. Everett was a skinny six foot, 190 pound kid that had a howitzer connected to his right arm. I mean, like, so that also adds to that uniqueness. Like, you don't, when you see Deshaun Kaiser, Ryan, he's like 6'4, 235, 24. You're not surprised he has a strong arm, right? He's massive. When you see yeah. Everett, you're like, oh, this guy's probably a run around athletic Joe Hamilton type of guy. Nope. Everett had a cannon. So uh, he would be the guy that I would say is of that group is most unique. Yeah. So, yeah. I think I agree yeah. with that one. So, yep. yeah. That would be mine. All right. Let's get to uh, some more here. We had a question from Wyatt Kerwin who said, which Notre Dame jersey number did you have or would you have liked to have growing up? What color jersey and which player was it or would you would have been for? Mine was green number three jersey for Arnez Battle. So I only had – I actually had a, a two jerseys. They were both the same number, though. I had a white and I had a blue. It was number seven. And seven at that time was Carlisle Holiday when I got my first jersey. So – Carlisle Holiday, number seven, I suppose. I never had a Notre Dame jersey. Uh, the only jerseys I ever bought, I've never been much of a jersey guy. The only two jerseys I ever remember having is I had a, um, I had a, I had a Patriots jersey, and I don't, I think it was actually Drew Bledsoe actually because I was in high school, so it would have been Drew Bledsoe. But it was more for style. I had a North Carolina number 15 jersey i'm trying to remember who the name of the quarterback was on that football team it wasn't it was i think after oscar davenport ryan i i, I would have to go it was but it was around that time uh mm-hmm. but it again it was more for i wore it because it went with my gear and it was more to wear a light blue type of outfit than it was anything else so it, it was just same with the Patriots jersey. I thought the color scheme was pretty cool, and I wore it because of that. So that's it had more to do with Chris Keldorf is who it was. I don't know if you remember Chris Keldorf. So no uh, he was Oscar Oscar Davenport. He wasn't very he wasn't very good, but he was he was okay college quarterback. But those are the only two jerseys I ever remember having for college. The only jersey I ever had as a fan and whose number I wore was John Elway. I was you know that was at Broncos jerseys, and I wore number seven whenever I could. Now my senior year of high school, I wore number nine. And because uh, uh, I couldn't wear seven because they didn't have seven. So my actually my junior and senior year of high school, I wore number nine. And uh, that was because of Tony Rice. So because uh, I couldn't wear number seven. So that would be the one that would be the one for me. But I never had a Notre Dame jersey. Just the Notre Dame jerseys when I was growing up, they just they 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 didn't really go with any of my, you know, I was more cut more about color coordination and, and gear and wasn't really wasn't really my thing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Question from Ryan Schultz, who said, saw the Notre Dame video featuring Sam Hartman. Couldn't help but think this was Notre Dame trying to get some Sam Hartman Heisman buzz going. 
does Notre Dame need to, to help to get the buzz going? What should that look like? I don't know that there's a lot that they can do right now, Ryan, to get Buzz going. I mean, what are they going to say? You know, he's 18th all time in passing yards, 19th all time in passing yards. 18. Look, here's what they need to do to get Sam Hartman Buzz going: go win games early, have him put up good numbers, and then you can start your Buzz. I mean, no, no one's going to care about anything else other than that. Now, does do I like the video they put out? Yeah, sure, I thought it was cool, but I mean. You could put out a new Sam Hartman video, hype video every day, and it won't yeah. matter until he goes out there on Saturdays and, and wins, right? It, it won't yeah. matter. You could not say a thing about Sam Hartman from now until the first game of the season. And if he goes out there and balls out, puts up yards, and Notre Dame wins a lot, he's going to be in the Heisman Trophy conversation. So, yeah, I um, I don't think that – his play is going to determine. I mean, that's that's the reality of it. I, th- I think the PR people would be smart to start thinking about some things that they can do, though, if he does start playing really well. Like, okay, th- now let's implement this strategy to really start getting his buzz out there more. You know, like the Trucker 33 stuff, you know what I mean? Right. Except for Sam Hartman, yeah. obviously. So, I'm yeah. good with them doing stuff. I- I- I've-, yeah. I've made this case before, Ryan. I-, I think Notre Dame's should do more with the promotion of their football team flat out you know do a video about all these guys i'm all for that it just to me it won't mean it doesn't mean anything regarding heisman until they go out there and play i mean that that's just simple as that it's go out there and play put up numbers but then have a strategy planned out that you don't necessarily talk to him or the team about but hey look if he does this this is what we're gonna this is what we're gonna do so um that's that's where i'm coming from i just don't care to i just don't i not that i don't care i'd like to see hype and I like to see those videos. We talk about this all the time. I just, it's not going to influence the Heisman Trophy voting until he goes out there and wins. Yeah. That's just basically what it boils down to. All right. Next question from Terry Gillery. Mailbag question. Bronte Johnson, Gerby Lamberts, Carter Nelson, Kingston Villiamuasa, Bradley Shaw, Caleb Beasley, Justin Scott. Missing anyone? Would that be the best class since Weiss? Yeah. I think so. Yes, yes it would. Yes, yeah. it would. I mean, I, I, as much as I liked last year's class, it would absolutely be better than last year's class. You know what's pretty the, crazy too, Brian, is that as I look at that list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys, Notre Dame's in a pretty solid position for I would say four out of seven at least at the moment. Shaw's the guys, only one that I would so. I would take off that list because I don't know that they're going to push for him if they get Kingston. Now, if we talked about last, or was it Monday we talked about this, Ryan? But if Bradley Shaw called tomorrow and said he wanted to come, they'd take him, I think. Uh, sure. But they're not, you know, if they get Kingston, they will have met their needs. So I don't know that they're necessarily really pushing for Bradley Shaw to make a commitment right now. So I would, I would take him off that list. Ryan, I would even argue if you took Caleb Beasley off that list, if they finish with those other five guys, this is still the best class that Notre Dame has had. Since the Weiss oh, era, yeah. since the 08 class, yeah. in my opinion. that So, yeah, I think now I think that in order for it to be, I would even argue if you took, no, I'm not going to say that because I, I don't want to put that out in the universe and it not happen. But you've got to get Lambert. You've got to get Shaw. If you don't get both in Kingston, if you don't get the, those in, in Bronte, those are the four most important because those are those guys are filling needs. Carter Nelson is just an, a big time player. It's not, you know, yeah. Caleb Beasley's not a need. He's a want. 
Carter Nelson's not a need. He's a he's he's a want, not a need. Now you want them because they're outstanding football players, but you always got to prioritize the guys that are also outstanding football players that fill positions of need, and that's what those yep. other guys do. But I mean, this is certainly the best, in my opinion, class since 2018. It's it, it's better than the 2013 class. It is. I think CJ Carr is a better prospect, the same age that Malik was. I think the running, but this running back class is every bit as good as that one because I, I, I hate saying this because he's passed away, but. I never thought Greg Bryant was as good as people thought he was. And I think the other problem I have with that duo was they were kind of the same guy and that you were going to run the same place. Whereas Aeneas and Kedron are different players. I think this receiving core is better than that one was as high school prospects. Obviously Will Fuller became a dude, but he wasn't a big time prospect. Uh, Tight end Mike Hireman and, 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 uh, and um, Durham Smythe. Were, I, I believe Durham Smythe was the other tight end in that class. I believe he wasn't 2014. Let me let me go look at that real quick. I, I could be wrong on that one. I thought Durham Smythe. Yeah, Durham Smythe was in that class. Uh, the offensive line class that year as recruits would be better. I mean, that was that was Steve Elmer was highly ranked. Hunter Bibbon was highly ranked. Uh, Mike McGlinchey was a guy with a ton of upside. Colin McGovern was a guy I liked on film. And then John Montalus was also a top 100 guy by rivals, which I thought he was very overrated. But that's a five-man class. It's as good, if not better, than this one. The 2013 defensive line class, Ryan, is not nearly as good as this class would be if they got Justin Scott. I mean, it's it's not yeah. even close, in my opinion. And I like that class. You had, you had, uh, you had Isaac Rochelle. You had Doug Randolph. Uh, you had um, – who was the other kid? Uh, Jacob Matuska. That was one of the weaknesses of that class was the defensive line because I'm not counting Eddie, Eddie Vanderdose. But here's the thing. Even if you count Eddie Vanderdose, Eddie Vanderdose, Isaac Rochelle, uh, Doug Randolph, and Jacob Matuska is not nearly as good of a class as the five-man class that this would be if they get Justin Scott, in my opinion. Sure. Um, linebacker class would be better in 2013 because of Jalen. The other two guys to me – Michael D versus Bodie Cahoon. I mean, that, that's that's similar, but Jalen Smith was just, I mean, uh, an elite elite player. Secondary wise, uh, the 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 safety class was pretty good that year, in my opinion. You had uh, you know with Max Redfield, you had uh, James Onwalu was considered a receiver in that class, but you had Max Redfield was a good safety. Cole Luke and Devin Butler at corner were pretty good. That was a, but you were short. I wasn't a big Rashad Kinlaw fan. So I didn't yeah. love him. I mean, if they get to Bronte Johnson, it's very similar. You're, you're, I, I, my feelings of Cole Luke and Leonard Moore coming out of high school are very similar. I, my my comp for Carson Hobbs was Devin Butler. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So like very similar players. Uh, Max Redfield is is bet is bet was a better prospect than Bronte Johnson was. But you've got Kennedy Erlacher, and so it's this DB class is very similar. Linebacker then is better, but D-line class is better. Quarterback is better. Receiver's better. If they get Carter Nelson, tight end is definitely better. O-line is close, but I'd give the edge to 13. So the only places I'd really give 13 the edge, Ryan, is would be what, linebacker and O-line? Yep. Yep. I, there's some washes in there, but I'd, I'd, give it to, I'd give it to 2020, the 2024 class, if you get all these guys. And if you get Caleb Beasley – then it's easily the DB class is better. Easily, it's better. And I would even argue if you get Bradley Shaw, then we could have an argument if that linebacker class this year is better because it has more guys, even though no yeah. one's as good as Jalen. I mean, no one's as good right. as close to being as good as Jalen. 
would you would you say 13 is probably their second best class? Because I think last year's class, if they would have got Hillman and and I mean Peyton Bowen and Keon, um, it's 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 the best. It would have been their best class. But when they lost yeah. those guys, it fell below the 2013 class to me, in my view, because it just didn't have any elite players. And the 13 had a couple yeah. elite players, which is but, very good all around class yeah. last year. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Do you remember the 2008 class, Ryan? Which I thought was Charlie's best class. 2008. It was, it was um, Dane Christ at quarterback, Jonas Gray at mm-hmm. running back's top 100 guy. You had Michael Floyd mm-hmm. and Deion Walker, John Goodman at receiver, Kyle Rudolph at tight end. Uh, nice. You had Darius Fleming and Steve Filer on the defensive line. Ethan Johnson was on that defensive line class. Uh, you had um, uh, the, the DB class was also really good. You had Robert Blanton was part of that class in the secondary. Uh, you had Jamor Slaughter and Dan McCarthy. I thought Dan McCarthy was the best prospect of all of them. If Dan McCarthy doesn't have injuries, I think he would have been a heck of a college football player. Sean Swinar was ranked pretty high player coming out. Dan, Anthony McDonald. The one bad take they had that year was David Puzlesny, who was uh, – oh, and the other tight end in that class, I forgot too, Ryan. Uh, they had Kyle Rudolph, but they also have Joseph Fourier was the other tight end in that class. They signed Joseph mm-hmm. Fourier in that class. And then and he offensive tra- line – he transferred and ended up being pretty good, right? Fourier, yeah, at, at UCLA. Good? Yeah. yeah, he 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 yeah. got in trouble, so he he didn't transfer on his own. Um, yeah, his own uh, his own desires, and the O line class uh, ended up being pretty good too. I mean, three three of your four, or actually say two of your starters on your 2012 team were guys from this class, and Braxton Cave and Mike Golick, and they also had Trevor Robinson in that class. Uh, I really like Lane Cleveland coming out of high school, but he ended up not doing anything. But that was that was to me still their their best class. But I believe that if they get the six of the seven guys down here, this class is better than that. I, I think if you if you get this, if you get those guys, Ryan, I would argue this is the best class Notre Dame has had since Lou Holtz was a coach at Notre Dame. I, w- I really would say that. But they've got to hit all but Bradley Shaw in order to do that, in my opinion. So. Thought, thoughts on that a little, little bit too uh too far gone too long ago to compare them <laughs> to, to some of those man. uh tie. We're I mean, like six different classes right now so. yeah yeah so what's that what'd you say i didn't okay ryan just went away again so i don't know what he said all right so let's go to some more questions here uh we've got let's go back up top to to john john a1 says uh depending on who wins the starting guard spots the o-line could be very different style wise christophe and strauss seem to be athletic combo but the rocco and jagger maulers what's the best style fit for uh, what project to be strength of the skill spots power interior balance athletic i'm going to somewhat push back a little bit on this uh, uh john in that um I think that Shrouth is athletic, but I think Shrouth is also a a um, um, he is a how do I say this? Uh, athletic and powerful, like he's a bit of a combo guy, but I think he, he can fit a power system as well uh, as a, as a athletic system. So I, I would say he is a guy that fits the power system. I don't think you change your point is I don't think you change your style as run blocking wise with him or Jagasaw or Rocco. I think you do a little bit with Shrouth. So, but I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily call Andrew Gustafic athletic at this point in time. I think he's just a, you know, do your job, you know, decent footwork, good technique, just get the job done kind of guy. I wouldn't necessarily call him an, an athletic combo anymore uh, with the way he's had, he's put on, but uh, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the, uh, 
strengths of of the skill spots. What so look, I think Notre Dame wants to be a physical push you off the line team. And so obviously the Jagasol, the Spindler, and the Shrouths are the best guys for that. So I think those are the guys that I'm going to look at and, and focus on for those. See if we have any super chats down here. Yeah, we had a couple pop up here. We've got Tyler Evans. Thank you, Tyler, very, very much. How would you guys fix the Pac-12 conference? I don't know that the Pac-12 conference can be fixed, to be completely honest with you, Tyler, unless you could get – I mean, I, I don't know that you can fix it without the L.A. teams is, is the point. I don't I don't think that there's there's putting that genie back in the bottle. I, I think you can salvage it to where it can survive for a little bit, but I, I don't think you can fix it because you can't fix a population. You can't make a population care about your sports programs. I just, I don't know that there's anything you can do other than saying, okay, all of a sudden you're going to make eight of the 12 best teams in college football be teams from the PAC 12 because West coast fans and football will for college sports will jump on the bandwagon. But as soon as you stop winning they're they're back off of it. So I, I honestly don't know that you can fix them. We could talk about, you know, get better TV deals. But part of the problem with the TV deals is you just don't have the audience to, that watches college sports on the West Coast. And that's that's my two cents on that one. Jim DiMatteis with a super chat. Thank you, Jim, very, very much. Have a good weekend. Enjoyed listening to, to, the, to the mailbag. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. Uh, let's see here. Um, Terry Gillery says, what would it say for Marcus Freeman to be the first black national championship coach i mean we talked about this the other day i don't think it says anything about marcus freeman uh to be the first black coach i think it would be more momentous for the sport than so for him i I think the big thing that marcus freeman has always made very clear and and i tend to agree with this is big picture wise there's there's a, a a level of celebrating something because you know, it shows progress or, or things along those lines. But Marcus Freeman's thing has always been adamant about, I don't want to be known as a, you know, a black coach. He embraces his heritage. It's not so much, I don't want to be known as black. It's more about why am I not just a football coach? You know, you don't say, well, you know, he's a good white coach. You say he's a good coach. And I think his whole thing is, is I'm embracing my heritage, the black part of his heritage, the Asian part of his heritage, and he's proud of who he is because he's proud of his father, who is a black man. He's proud of his mother, who's an Asian woman, and the manner in which he was raised and the man he created him to be. And he's also very aware of what something like that would mean. But his whole thing is don't define me because of the color of my skin. Define me by the job that I do. And he's always been very adamant about that. He's always answered that question extremely well is stop putting me in this box, right? Like, yes, it is important. And he had some great answers. I thought about this on the pivot interview uh, where it's kind of like he understands that. And this is where it matters is it doesn't even matter for Marcus Freeman that he's the first black coach to win a championship. It's not about him. He understands the impact that would have right or wrong on the doors that it would open for other black coaches to get those opportunities, including some from his own staff, or Dylan McCullough, Mike Mickens, guy, Chancey Stuckey, guys like that, to say, hey, look, you know, there, there's a hesitance for whatever reason, uh, whether it's you believe it's just people don't want to hire black coaches because there's not a track record of success, whether it's because there just aren't a lot of, you know, candidates, whatever the case may be, you can make a lot of reasons reasons why. But some of it is clearly there's just a hesitancy for whatever reason. And I have my reasons why I think some do. Some of it's 
understandable. Some of it's total bull crap. But once that door gets kicked down, especially at a place like Notre Dame, then the excuses are gone. Do you want to win or not? Right. And if you want to win, then you need to leave your interviews up into the best coach. And and sometimes it's going to be a white guy. Sometimes it's going to be a black guy. Sometimes it might be a Hispanic guy, an Asian guy, whatever the case may be. But I think that's the impact that it has. It's not so much what would it say for Marcus Freeman. I think where Marcus Freeman would say is it's not me. It's the doors that he knows that this would open. And, and for other coaches that are kind of coming along and to say, hey, look, you can try to put me in this box, but here's the reality of it. I am black, I am Asian, and I am a great coach. This is what matters right here. And you should hire people based on, on who they are and not have these stereotypes about whether it's a running backs coach or because of someone's race, whether the case may be. So I think the the, the impact would, would say it would do a lot more for no, for the college football world as a whole and opening up opportunities than anything it would say specifically for Marcus Freeman or for Notre Dame. And I think that's where Coach Freeman's focus is when it comes to this particular topic is he doesn't want to be defined as so he wants to be defined as a great husband, a great father, and a great football coach who cares about his players and does things the right way. And that this is just kind of, okay, this isn't who I, this isn't what, you, you know, because I'm this, I'm this. That's not who I am. I'm this. But it would certainly open up opportunities. That's a fact. Braden Spatar, thank you very much for that super chat and another one. He says, what is your guys' confidence level from zero to 100? I want to, again, remind people that I have an article about every prospect on the board outside of Bronte Johnson, because he's going to make a decision tomorrow where I give my one to 10. And if you want to know my, my level four uh, percentage wise add a zero onto each one of the numbers that I give. So, uh, so I appreciate the super chat, but there's an article that goes into uh, where we are and why I feel that way about all of those uh, different recruitments. So please, uh, please check that out. Braden, appreciate the super chat very much. And then we have a super chat from, from John a two, whatever the heck that is. If Notre Dame wins the 2003 national championship, what's the one stat you look back on and say that was a or the key? So I'm going to give you one on both sides of the ball. The one on offense I'm going to give you is if I could go to one stat, it would be uh, they're going to average seven over seven yards per play, seven yards or more per play offensively overall, not run pass, but just overall defensively it would be the run game disruptions. So tackles for loss in the run game. I think that speaks to creating a lot of other things uh, that could open up opportunities for Notre Dame defensively. I think that is the thing that leads to, if you're getting a lot of negatives in the run game, it's going to lead to more, the offense being behind the sticks more, meaning more second and longs, more third and longs, which creates more opportunities to throw have to throw the football. Uh, which then leads to more opportunities for turnovers and for pass breakups and those type of things. So I think all of those things factor into um, what then makes you a, a championship caliber defense. But I think it begins with the run game disruptions. I think the other part of it too is if you're if you're getting a lot more tackles for loss, it means your D line's playing at a high level, and it means your linebackers are playing at a high level. I think those things are big factors in this conversation. Somebody says turnovers. I think that can be a tad overrated, honestly. I, I think it can be a tad overrated because it doesn't tell you how. It, again, don't look at turnovers. I think I think it's an overrated statistic because def, their turnovers are defined by other things. It's 
focus on the stats that lead to the turnover margin being what it is offensively and defensively. And that's why I think the focus should be on other, other aspects of that. Let's get to some more questions here. So John a two, thank you for that question. All right. Some here, here's one from um, let's, let's get here. This is one from JP Buellsfeld. He says, Brian and Ryan, I'm not a fan of the Shamrock game. What is your opinion of Shamrock and why JP? I like it in theory. It's like with anything else. It's how is it executed, right? Like that, that's my big thing is I think there's a lot of things that in theory are great ideas, but the manner in which it's carried out makes it a something that I'm not a big fan of. And so the Shamrock series game to me, if you're, if you're having opponents that, uh, that just aren't good, in my opinion, then it takes away from it. If you're going to locations that just are like, why are you going there? It takes away from it. I, I, t- I tend to like a lot of the, like playing, playing uh Syracuse in New York. Was, oh, I love that playing Boston college at, in, in Fenway. That's a really cool deal. You're playing in venues that are, that are just, these kids don't get a chance to play in playing Purdue at like Ford at not Ford, but um, uh, what's the name that what, wherever the, the Colts play, I forget the name of where the Colts play, but like, to me, that's like, ah, whatever. You know, it is what it is. It doesn't really fire me up. It's like playing Washington State in San Antonio, whatever. That didn't really do a whole lot for me. Even the Navy, the Army game in San Antonio didn't do a whole lot for me because I know that there's a big Army base in San Antonio. But, like, that's not – I mean, if you want to play Army, play them at Yankee Stadium. I mean, think of the tradition there. Uh, and, I'd, again, as, I, as I've said, it would be um, – you know, I think it would be uh, – uh, you know, I, I think it would be a situation where – I'd rather just play at West Point 